Good morning. Uh, it is great to have you guys here at Grace uh, College Life here at our Southwood campus. Uh, my name is Trey Corey. I'm our college pastor here. And uh, we are thrilled to have you guys here on what I guess would be our first ever game day Sunday. So uh, it is great to see you guys. Great to have you all visiting. If this is your first time, let me extend to you a special welcome. We're thrilled that you're with us this morning. Uh, I've had a sinking fear and suspicion all week that for me, in many ways, that uh, the game day tonight was a big giant prank on me. I've had this fear that I'm going to show up to an empty parking lot tonight and to an empty Kyle Field and that websites and everything's been in conspiracy against me and this first week of school kind of prank against me. And so I've been fearful this week uh, that this game really wasn't on Sunday night. Uh, and, in fact, I think it's kind of been a deep-seated thing for me. The first week of classes, I always felt like it's just you're prone to getting pulled pranks on. And so think back to my freshman year in high school. Those malicious seniors were selling elevator passes to a one-story high school, trying to sell it to gullible freshmen. I did not buy, I'll have you know that. Uh, but I think back even to my freshman year at Dunn Hall here at Texas A&M University. Anyone from Dunn? Thank you very much. I was in 148. I think about all the pranks that were pulled on us by our friends throughout freshman year, even all the way to my senior year living off campus. College for me, in many ways, is a time of great pranks, all right? I think back to all those prank wars that I'd get in that often start so innocent, uh, so casual, so friendly, with a little bit of embarrassments, a little bit of inconveniences, but it's somewhere along the line, and some kind of prank war, it moves and it crosses a line. And when that point that it crosses a line, what often happens is that someone begins to respond disproportionately, right? And all of a sudden, things begin to get out of control, and they escalate faster than you know what to do with. In my junior year, I was living in an apartment complex, and my roommates and I had four girls that were living above us, and we got into a prank war with them. And it was cute, it was innocent to begin with, but eventually things began to spiral out of control because one morning we walked out to our cars, and we found soiled maxi pads all over our cars, all right? And then we found Vaseline all over our door handles. It was one of the most disgusting moments of my whole life, all right? Uh, I remember walking out, and then I remember the chuckles because these girls were in their balcony looking out on the parking lot just waiting for us to walk out, right? We were absolutely mortified. Now, the only thing we could figure it out to do in the moment then was to assure these girls that vengeance was a dish best served cold, and it was going to be served to them certainly and surely in the future to come, right? And so we began over the next month or so to plot our revenge. They knew it was coming, but they had no idea when, what, how, or why, all right? And so we plotted and we plotted, and it was in there waiting, knowing that something was coming, but not knowing when, not knowing where, and that fear was really the characteristic of their life, right? They knew we were coming, but they did not know when, where, or how. So eventually we struck. We waited until they left town for Christmas vacation uh, with an apartment that was available and uninhabited, and we got access to their apartment, and we allowed our plan to go into motion, all right? Uh, you would enter into their apartment, and you entered in straight into their kitchen that spilled into a living room, and then it opened up to two bedrooms and two bathrooms, and so we proceeded to hit their apartment uh, from the ex- uh, externals, and so we started in their bathroom where we put a year's worth of lint in their bathtubs, all right? Uh, Now, as to how or why we had stored lint for a year, that's another story for another day, right? Uh, But a year's worth of lint filled their bathtub, all right? And then we moved out from the bathrooms into their bedrooms, and we yarned their bedrooms, all right? So we took yarn, and we tied it from one object to another all throughout their bedrooms, and so that it was like one giant color-filled yarn maze, all right? So you couldn't even get in, all right? But then we said the best for last, because in their kitchen, we laid out a thousand Dixie cups side by side, all right? We filled them halfway up with milk. We turned the heater on, we locked the door, and we left, all right? That's all right. Vengeance was coming, right? And it came, all right? So we turned the heater up, we left, and we head off for Christmas vacation, had a great time with family. 
And then one poor girl returned, all right? She returned all by herself. Uh, she and her boyfriend had had some difficulties over the uh, Christmas break, so they returned for a DTR. So they had a four-hour emotional, heart-wrenching conversation, and so she returns back to her apartment all by herself, all right? And, and so she unlocks the door, opens it up, and is just hit with the smell of mildewed, uh, rotting milk, all right? Uh, she falls to her knees where she spends the next hour because she's got to empty them out one by one without throwing up, all right? Because we've lined them side by side, so there's no way to get access into the apartment until you've emptied these out one by one, all right? So she empties these out one by one. She gets into her bedroom. She cuts all the yarn so she can get access to her bathroom, finds the lint. It's like, holy moly, surely this is it. She cleans up the lint, takes it to the trash can, and then steps in the shower where she finds our last hidden little prank, all right? All she wanted to do was wash herself from the emotions and the fatigue and the suffering that she had endured. She gets the water just like she wants it. She steps into the bathtub, turns the water head on, and she finds our last little prank. We had packed Kool-Aid in the shower head, all right? And so Kool-Aid just comes out, all right, in the hair, all over the face, right? And then the tears just come, right? These girls knew one thing, all right? They knew we were coming, right? And we came, right? And they felt it, right? It was no questions if, when, if we were coming. They knew we were coming, but the fear that they lived in was they didn't know when. And the difficulty they had as they walked through the rest of the fall and then Christmas break was, how do you continue to live in light of something that is absolutely certain, but you have no idea when it will hit your life in the present? Right? You can only keep your eye open in your sleep for so long, right? You can only lock all your doors for so long, right? You can only leave your computer logged in for so long or logged out, right? You can only leave your keys put up without access for so long, right? Eventually, you let your guard down, and in a prank war, that's when you're vulnerable. Uh, now, we talked last week about a certain and clear vision of the future when Jesus Christ will return, and he will set up a kingdom that will be universal, and he will receive universal worship, now, in no way am I trying to say that the future to come is a big, giant, divine prank on all of us, right? Uh, but in some ways, there's a similarity in that we all have a great certainty, for a lot of us, that, that he is returning. <laughs> uh, for many of us, we don't question whether he will return or not, but the great challenge for a lot of us is how in the world do we live in light today of what is to come tomorrow? We're clear that he's returning. We're even clear from the scriptures of what's going to happen when he returns. But the question is, how do we live today in light of that day? So what we're going to do this morning as we continue our series on heaven and hell is to kind of look at, in a sense, what are our life purposes? In light of the day that is to come, how are you and I called to live today in preparation for that day? So if you will turn with me to the book, 2 Peter, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3 this morning. And as you guys turn there, let me remind y'all, uh, we're continuing on the series that we're going to have all fall about heaven and hell. We're going to spend the first half of the fall talking about heaven and hell, what it's like, uh, what happens there, whether those are real places or not. And then we'll spend the second half of the fall talking about in light of what heaven and hell is, how do we bring heaven on earth now? In light of what looks like to come in the future, again, in the present, how do, we, how do we live in light of that to come? We'll do a little bit of that this morning, but we'll tackle some really practical issues in the latter part of the fall, from politics to social justice uh, to missions, even to our careers. And so that's kind of where we're going to go in the latter part of the fall. But this morning, in a sense, what are our purposes in life? How do we live in light of the day that's to come? Uh, we're going to look at Second Peter chapter 3, verses 7 to 18 this morning, but we're going to begin uh, verses 7 to 12. Uh, follow along with me, verse 7. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance." 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Pray with me. Father God, I give you great thanks that you have revealed and you have spoken so that we can know what is to come in the future. And Father, I thank you that you even spoken so that we know how to merge the future with the present. We know how to walk today in light of that day. Father, I pray that as we open your word this morning, as we look at uh, this letter from Peter, Lord, I pray that you would shine your spirit into our, our minds and our hearts so that we could see that you'd illuminate our minds, that we could grasp truth this morning. Pray that you remove all distractions, um, that you remove all those things that we're preoccupied with, the things from our weekend, the things even of our evening, Lord. I pray that you'd give us a pocket of time here just to hear from you this morning, Lord. I pray as well that you would allow me to speak just as you see fit, that you'd move me out of the way. And Father, I pray more than anything that what we grasp this morning and what we can see this morning is your risen son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would draw us to him, that we could see him exalted and lofted, Lord. And I pray that our view of him would permeate our lives and and order the way that we live now. Father, I pray that you would give us hearts that are soft to you, that are responsive even to your conviction, even to your leading, that we would give you all that we are that we'd give you everything, Lord. Father, I ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. Our passage in Second Peter chapter 3, I think really Peter's going to give us, in a sense, I think what are four purposes to our lives today. Uh, four main things that I think he's going to want to focus ourselves on that we could see in living today in light of tomorrow. Uh, he begins off with, in a sense, I think his first simple challenge, and that's for that you and I are to remain ready. In light of what's to come, we are to remain and to live ready for that day with a mindset and a focus, uh, living in anticipation of that day. He says, remain ready. Notice all the way through this, verses 7 and 12, multiple times he talks about the fact that the heavens and the earth will be destroyed. Multiple times, you you cannot miss it. He says it three or four different times throughout these five verses that the earth, the heavens, and everything will be destroyed. It will be judged. It will melt away and be destroyed. All that you and I see today will be wiped away. We talked last week about uh, Jesus Christ's return, his establishment of his kingdom, and, and receiving of universal worship. And what we see from Second Peter, though, is that before, in a sense, all are gathered around the throne and worship, before we're in a new heavens and a new earth, what Peter is going to make clear to you and I is that all that you and I see now is going to be destroyed. Much of what you and I invest our lives in now is going to be wiped away. And the question becomes, what are you and I investing and living our lives for now? Are we remaining ready and focused on the day that's to come? And he says over and over again that you and I are to, in a sense, have a promised assurance. It's clear of what's going to happen in the future. In fact, as we walk through the series this fall, you're going to see uh, from Genesis to Revelation throughout our New Testament, not just the book of Revelation, God is going to speak of the future over and over again. In fact, we're going to find so much of what he says about the future, even in the Old Testament, because even in the Old Testament, as God was speaking to the nation of Israel, he was setting them up and engaging and forming their anticipation and their expectations of what is to come. And even in the Old Testament, much of what has not yet been fulfilled, but was promised is going to set the course of human history and what we expect to come in the future. And so Old Testament, New Testament, you and I have a promised assurance that God is going to return and that he's going to move and that he's going to order human history just like he promised. The challenge for you and I, though, is this, that there's a present anxiety, right? We can see it over and over again that God is going to do something that he's going to return. We see the promises over and over again from the scriptures. But the question, the reality is, these scriptures are written to you and I over two millennium ago, right? Over 2,000 years ago, we received these. These were first penned and written. And, and then when it was penned, and for the first century church, they lived with an anticipation that he was going to return immediately. 
that the end of all things was at hand. The end of all things was near. And so they lived with great anticipation that Jesus could return at any moment. The challenge for you and I as we've walked past that time is we're 2,000 years into this thing. And the question is, where is Jesus? (laughs) The reality is, is Jesus departed or deviated from his purposes and his promises or what's going on? There's a present anxiety because it seemed like it was all near and yet it's not happened. So what's going on? That's why I think he says in verse 8, notice he says, But do not let this one fact escape your notice. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises. <laughs> and you and I have a different gauging on timing than the Lord has himself, right? We can't even wait in a line at a grocery store or at a red light without getting impatient, right? But for the Lord, his sense of patience is far different than ours. His sense of timing is far different than ours. And in a sense, what seems like a delay for you and I is not a delay at all for him. In fact, there's purposes for the reason why Christ has not yet returned. And he says that, verse 9, notice that uh, he's not slow about his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And what Peter is trying to get across to you and I is that, in a sense, what seems like a delay to us from God himself is actually an extension of his patience and his grace for all to come to him. There are purposes to his delay. There is a reason why Jesus Christ has not yet returned and established a kingdom universal yet. There are purposes to still be fulfilled, and because of that, it is actually possible to accelerate his return. This is not something we talk about a lot, but catch this. Look what he says in verse 12. It's not just that you and I remain ready and focused on that day, but notice what he says in verse 12. That you and I are to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Looking for, anticipating, but also hastening that you and I can accelerate, that we can quicken the return of Jesus Christ. It's a fascinating concept. (laughs) Well, what in the world can you and I do to hasten his coming? If if there's seemingly a delay in our mind, but purposes to the delay, then how in the world can we fulfill those purposes so that Christ will return? In fact, I think what he's going to tell us next is that you and I have an opportunity to extend an invitation. It's not just that you and I are to remain ready, but another purpose that you and I have now in this life is that we can extend an invitation widely. The reason why Jesus Christ has not yet returned, the purpose to his delay is so that we can extend an invitation to a wedding feast that is to come. When Jesus Christ, according to the book of Revelation, will be reunited with his bride, the church. So we're looking forward to a wedding that is to come, which is why there is a delay. For some of y'all uh, getting to walk out with some of you guys, one of my most favorite conversations are the guys who are on the verge of engagement. Uh, I've told you guys this before. I have a guy that does rings. So if you need a guy, I'm your man. Come find me. I'll get you a guy. All right. Uh, but I love pushing guys to that moment of engagement. All right. I love them uh, moving down that last finish line to proposing, getting on the knee, asking the big question, throwing down the big rock. I love that moment. Uh, when it happens, I congratulate them, and then I tell them, welcome to purgatory, all right? Uh, and, and here's the deal. Uh, for you guys who have not walked there before, uh, it's not that I actually believe in purgatory, all right? But I think that for those that enter into engagement, engagement is a, a time and a sense in which you will pay for all your past sins, all right? Uh, engagement is a really difficult period of time because you're waiting for something that seems so real, but you can't get your hands on it yet. You're waiting to be wedded with this person that you have great certainty that this is now where you're headed, but you're not there yet. And the delay there for some is four months. For some, there's an ungodly year that you wait just for a wedding, right? Uh, To extend an invitation to all to a wedding feast that's to come. And really, the point of our lives is much the same now. We are in a great period of engagement in which we've been wedded with one who is to come. And yet we're here still and we're waiting on that wedding feast to come so that we can extend an invitation to all that will hear. 
Notice what he says in verse 9, that the Lord is not patient, that he's extending kindness to you and I now. In fact, we get that same theme repeated throughout the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 14 says this, The Lord is slow to anger, and he's abundant in loving kindness. He's forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty. Notice what's going on in Numbers 14. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, most will see the Old Testament as one of the clearest portrayals of the wrath, the judgment, the holiness of God. And yet also throughout the Old Testament, there's this repeated refrain that God is slow to anger, that he's abundant, that he's overflowing in loving kindness. And in fact, the fact that he's not yet come and judged is an extension of his kindness, his patience, and his grace. The fact that you and I are living today and the fact that for some of us that we don't know Jesus Christ is an extension of his patience because a day will come when he will be judge. A day will come when he will stand as judge and his patience will have been extended already too far. For you and I that exist today, really this is a period in which we can extend an invitation and for some of us this is a period in which we can receive that invitation, that invitation to life. The invitation to forgiveness that the scriptures are clear that you and I are all, in a sense, dead in our transgressions. We've all been judged because you and I all, through our very nature, are hostile to God. We, we crave autonomy. We crave independence. We want to do things our way. And all of us, you can see it from the cradle all the way to the grave. You and I are born dead. You and I are born sinful. We have a nature that is resistant to God, that wants to do our own thing, that wants to go our own way. And what the scriptures have told us is because of that, we stand separate from God. And apart from Jesus Christ and apart from his death on a cross, there's no way for that separateness to be uh, reconciled. There's no way that we can enter back into a relationship with a holy God that is right and just. And so what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf is he's died on a cross so that he could take upon himself the penalty for our sins so that God could remain just because he would get a payment for sin, but he could also remain gracious and patient, extending to you and I what we don't deserve. Reality is what you and I all deserve is condemnation and judgment. And yet what Jesus Christ has extended to all of us is an opportunity for life, for freedom, and forgiveness. And apart from the invitation that Jesus Christ offers to you and I, we would have no opportunity to life. We have no opportunity for hope, no opportunity for peace. And in Jesus, we have it all. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, the fact that Christ has not yet returned is an opportunity for you to receive an invitation It is an opportunity for you to be able to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ so that you can have confidence that in the day that come that you'll be wedded with Jesus Christ as a part of his church, a part of his body. If you're here this morning and you already know Jesus Christ, the opportunity for you is to be one who would be a spokesperson for that invitation. And I think the reality is that you and I have to have an understanding that Jesus Christ could return at any moment. So you and I are to have an urgency in our extending of that invitation. Some of y'all may have heard the story before, but a few years ago, Marcy and I were traveling. Uh, we were on a plane, and again, uh, details to fill in another morning, but I was actually in first class. She was in coach. Long story, all right? So just take it, all right? So she, I was in first class. She was in coach, all right? We took off, and uh, we are about uh, halfway through the flight, and all of a sudden, the flight crew came on, and they began to explain to us that upon takeoff, some debris fell from our plane, all right? And you would expect a flight crew to remain calm and poised and confident. And yet, as the stewardess is explaining this to us uh, on the PA system, her voice is just shaking. And she really, you can get a sense that she doesn't think this is going to turn out well, all right? And so she begins to explain to us that upon landing, we're going to find ambulances and 
fire trucks and all kinds of maintenance crew uh, along uh, along the runway because as we land, they're fearful that uh, that something might have actually fallen off from the actual landing gear, and so they're afraid we're going to crash land. All right, so uh, so they're explaining this all, and then I'm up in first class, and the stewardess tell, gives me a job. All right, so my job the moment we crash land is that uh, my neighbor is going to grab the exit door and dislodge it. All right, and my job is to bar uh, him so he can work clearly and, and survive a flood of people trying to crash to the door, all right? So I felt like I had a purpose in the job, and so for the next 30 minutes until landing, I'm just kind of reading my book. I just wanted to finish my book. I felt like, hey, everything's going to be fine. And I found out later, Marcy, my wife, is in the backing coach with all the common people. And, uh... uh <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and so she's back there, and she's just sharing the gospel left and right because she really thinks that this is it. We're done. And she, she thinks this is the last opportunity some could have to hear the gospel and the good news of life. And so she's sharing left and right with anyone that will listen. And I'm up, up in first class just reading my book, all right? So, um, you know, and, and I think for a lot of us that when we're in that kind of possible near-death moment, then we have all sense of urgency, and we, all of a sudden the purposes of our life get really crystal but when we don't have that sense of urgency, all of a sudden we really get, often can lose track of the purposes of our life. In fact, what you're going to see is that the, God's delay, so to speak, isn't just so that we can extend an invitation, but it's also so that we can live holy. And notice what he says in verse 11. He says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? It's not just that we're here that, so that we can extend an invitation, but we're here also so that we can model and provide a preview of the coming attraction. He's going to call you and I to live just like the kingdom that is going to come. Notice verse 13. He says, but according to his purpose, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Notice he says, as we wait and as we look forward to this day, this day that's going to come, the kingdom that's going to come is going to be characterized by righteousness. And so the other purpose that you and I have for those of us who know Jesus Christ is that we are to live like that coming day. He says in verse 11 that you and I are to have holy conduct and godliness. Literally, that you and I are to live holy. You and I are to live lives that are, in a sense, set apart and that stand out. It's not just that we as a church are to be a people that extend an invitation and reach out to include others, but we're also to be a people that stand separate and stand distinct and look different. You and I are called to live holy. Holy literally means that you and I are to be set apart or separate. We are to be reserved for its special use. In a sense, it's the contrast to profane. To profane something is to make it common, right? And so in many ways, if you sit down at the dinner table, that as you grew up at your family, there were certain common day dishes that you'd use, but the china would be reserved for something special, right? For those Thanksgiving, for those Christmas meals. The china is, in a sense, holy. It is set apart. You and I are, in a sense, to live holy and set apart like china. You and I are to live and to look distinctly different than the world sees and the way the world looks like. You and I are in a sense to be uh, not just those that extend an invitation, but you and I are to be a preview of the coming attraction that's to come. That's why I was going to say right after verse 13, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. You and I are marketers for that which is coming. You and I are a preview of that coming attraction that's to come when Jesus Christ returns. The question is, how are you providing and what kind of a preview are you providing of that coming attraction? As people look at your life, do they see something different? Do they see something that stands out? I think for many of us, sometimes our marketing and our PR doesn't do very well, even for us as churches. Here's a few examples in a sense that I think are great. Uh, bad church bulletins, some examples where churches really failed miserably at marketing, all right? Uh, here's what some, uh, some real-life announcements. Some of you guys may have heard these before, but uh, I found this once before. At the evening service, the sermon topic will be, What is hell? Come early and listen to our church choir practice, all right? 
I thought in light of our series on heaven and hell, it kind of seemed appropriate, right? Um, some choirs are that bad, right? Um, also, uh, next Sunday, a special collection will be taken to defray the cost of the new carpet. All those wishing to do something on the new carpet will come forward and do so. It's not really what they're going for, right? Um, or how about this one? This afternoon, there will be a meeting in the south and north ends of the church. Children will be baptized at both ends. Actually, I kind of chose that as it sounded like Dave South now performing in the north end of Kyle Field, right? Just kind of getting ready for it, all right? Um, or this last one. Uh, ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things that are not worth keeping around the house. Don't forget your husbands, all right? <laughs> Just wrong, right? It's not exactly what the church was intending to communicate, right? And I think, honestly, in many ways, I think our lives and, and this church as large and any church like it is that way. We are imperfect, Right? We don't exactly model and provide a, a fitting preview of the coming attraction that is the kingdom that is to come, right? We as churches miss it in our bulletins. We as individuals miss it in the way that we live. But you and I have been called not just to extend an invitation with our mouth, but you and I have been called to provide a preview of the coming attraction with our lives. The question is, how in the world do you and I live any different than this culture in this day and time? You and I are part of this world. How in the world do you and I stand and look different? A radical transformation in our lives has to occur, but the question is how? How do you and I live different than what the world sees and what the world looks? I think that's why the, where this passage is going to end is talking about, in a sense, how our lives are changed. And I think that Peter is going to challenge us to root ourselves deeply. Not just to remain ready, not just to invite widely, not just to live holy, but lastly, to root deeply. And actually, I think this is where it all begins. Notice what he says in verse 15 that you and I regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things. Notice that he's going to take us back to the word of God, back to the written, uh, composed word of God that has been granted to you and I through Peter, through Paul, and men like him. That you and I are called to root ourselves deeply in the word of God because it is the word of God that actually brings change in our lives. The only way that we're going to provide a preview of an attraction that is to come that is anything different than this world is if we're rooted deeply in the word of God. It is the word of God that changes our lives. It is the word of God that brings transformation so that we live, walk, feel, and think differently than we once did. It is through an opportunity to be rooted in the word of God that our lives are changed. Hebrews 4 says, The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and is piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God is not just a cold, dead piece of literature. It's not like your chemistry books. It's not like your history books that you got this week, right? And they bring death to your souls, right? Um, The word of God is profoundly different. Not just because it has a different divine author that's in the background of it, but because this thing from Genesis to Revelation has one unified message of a people who are broken, but a God who's come to restore us and to restore us and transform us so that we would look and we would walk just as we were intended to be. When we were created in the garden, we were created with glory and honor that we were to be the highlight of creation. And yet much of what humanity is as we walk on this earth is anything but that. We are not a highlight reel. In some cases, we are a tragedy, right? In many ways, our lives are broken. And what we need more than anything is for Jesus Christ to come and to bring transformation and to bring change. And it comes as we come and we hear him right here in the word of God. I want to challenge you this semester that you would find opportunities beyond Sunday morning to get into the word of God. 
But reality is, for a lot of us, there are some challenges to the word of God. And even Peter will mention that. Notice what he says. This is fascinating to me. Look back at verse 16. He says, in which things, speaking of them in these things, in which are some things that are hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Peter's talking about the writings of Paul, but did you notice what Peter said about what Paul wrote? Peter's going, even as an inspired spokesperson for God, I don't have a clue what he's talking about sometimes, right? Uh, whatever Paul was writing in Romans at times, Peter's like, I, I'm confused, I, especially as he's talking about some of the things that come in the future. I'm not tracking with Paul. And for a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we open the word of God and it's confusing. And for some of us, it's intimidating, right? Uh, I'll be honest with you guys. I've been through seminary, but there are parts of the word of God I do not get. (laughs) There are parts of the book of Revelation we will not cover because I have no clue. (laughs) All right. Uh, And so uh, I think for a lot of us, there's a challenge because the word of God can be difficult. It can be hard to understand. But notice the danger that he says that because of that, some that are untaught and unstable will distort the scriptures and will cause destruction in the lives of some. The reality is there are people who are taking this thing right here and they're misteaching it. And you can see it on TV. You can see it in books. You can see it all over the place who are distorting what is the word of God and the truth of God. But notice the solution to the problem. He says in verse 17, you, therefore, you individually, here's your responsibility. Here's the solution for the problem. Beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Notice the solution. The solution is that you are to be on guard and that you are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. A lot of you guys, if you're a freshman, you're coming here at Texas A&M. The fact that you're at church is because on your own volition, you're here. (laughs) On your own volition, you want to know Jesus Christ. You want to grow further. And maybe you're here because a friend invited you. That's fantastic. Uh, No matter the reason that you're here, let me challenge you that a faith that you've received or you've inherited is not a faith that will stand against adversity and scrutiny. Some of you guys, even this week, are back in classes and sometimes even in religion classes this semester, even at A&M, and you're going to have your faith rocked. All right. You may have your faith rocked, not just by a class, but by circumstances of life and what you received by great parents, by a great church. Uh, if you've not owned that faith, it's going to be hard to hold on to. I want to challenge you to own your faith this semester in ways that you never have before. If you have a faith that you've inherited or a faith that you've podcasted, but you've not owned it, uh, your faith is going to have a hard time standing up against some of the rigors of college. A faith that you have received and you trust because someone else told you and not because you've seen it from the word of God is not a faith that will stand up against scrutiny and against adversity. I want to challenge you in our heart as a church for you this fall and your four, five, six years in college, however long you need, is that your faith would be rooted to the word of God. That it wouldn't be rooted to Grace Bible Church. It wouldn't be rooted to any preacher. It wouldn't be rooted to a parent, but it would be rooted in the word of God itself. And you would know what you believe from this text. Not from a podcast, not from your favorite author, not from your favorite preacher, but because you know the word of God. The word of God that is in some things incredibly challenging and difficult to understand, but God would not have spoken unless we could understand it. The word of God doesn't have to intimidate. It doesn't have to be something that we're just unsure of and need someone else to always explain to us. God revealed himself so that we could know him. So I want to give you guys a few opportunities this semester uh, to get involved here at Grace. Uh, I'm going to give you guys a few ways that, and in a sense, I think that you can take greater ownership of your faith because here as a church, we don't want to teach you just what to believe. 
We don't want to teach you all the right answers. What we want to do is teach you how to study the word of God yourself, how to open this thing to understand it and apply it yourself. So we're going to have all kinds of Bible studies, but don't miss sight of whatever the Bible study is. The ultimate goal, no matter what we're studying, is to teach you how to study the word of God yourself so that you can know what you believe because you can find it right here. Not because you heard it somewhere else or because someone else taught you, but because you can find it in the Word of God. So let me challenge you to get into one of our small groups this semester. Uh, Grace can feel really large on a Sunday morning, and so our small groups exist. They provide you a better experience of community and a better opportunity to roll up your own sleeves and to get in this thing so that you can understand it. If you're a freshman, if you're the class of 2015, anyone? That's what I'm talking about. All right. Uh, In case you guys don't know this, we have a freshman Bible study that meets on campus. I think actually at this point, we may be only one, of, one of the only churches that still goes up on campus and has a freshman Bible study. And so it's called Dulos. It meets Wednesday night, 6.30 to 8.30 at All Face, and it kicks off this Wednesday night. So if you're a freshman, it's a great spot to meet freshmen. They're going to be studying the essentials, which I'll talk about in a minute, but a great study to really nail down the foundation of your faith. Let me highly encourage you to be a part of that. If you're not a freshman, if you're an upperclassman, uh, and maybe you're new to this thing called Christianity, or maybe you really just want to nail down the foundation of, of the key doctrines of Christianity, Christianity, the essential study is a great spot to do that. All right. Uh, it's not just, a, it's not at all a simplistic study. It's a great starting point for some, but it's also a great refreshment for a lot of people who you just want to nail down what you believe from the word of God. And so the essential study is in a sense, the key doctrines that we believe and also the key Christian practices uh, that we do from prayer to Bible study to uh, fellowship. And so it's going to walk you through those things. Fantastic study. We're going to be doing that study Tuesday nights, 630 at our Anderson campus. And so you can sign up for that here, but it will be at our Anderson campus campus starting this Tuesday night. Also, our core study as a church, uh, both for college, adult, and even youth this fall, is the study of Ruth, all right? Uh, We just wrote this study. It's an Old Testament story. A lot of you guys are going Ruth. I know the candy bar baby Ruth. Never heard of the Bible story Ruth, all right? It is about primarily the main character is a woman, but is not a story for women, all right? Uh, Ladies love it, but guys, it is probably one of my most favorite books of the Old Testament right now. It's probably one of my most favorite books to teach and to preach. And so all of our staff has laughed at me because I have us studying this book, all right? Ruth. It's going to be a fantastic book to actually teach you also how to study uh, stories of the Old Testament. What do you do with a story other than walking away going, well, that was nice, but how do I understand it? What was the truth behind it and how do I apply it? So that's what we're going to try to do through our study of Ruth. We're going to have groups meeting here at Southwood and at Anderson on Tuesday nights, 6.30 to 8.30. If you need an alternate night, you can't do Tuesdays, either either our Ruth study or our essential study. We have alternate nights for you guys and so you can sign up for an alternate night as well. Uh, But we'll be kicking that study off also this Tuesday night. So everything really kicks off this week. Also, if you want to find a way to not just study the word, but you also want to find a way to serve here in our college ministry at our church, Servant Team is for you. Uh, what Servant Team does is half their night on Tuesday nights uh, is study the Ruth study, but the other half of the night they're planning uh, fellowship events. Uh, they're planning uh, ways to serve in our body and they're planning evangelism and prayer events. And so it's a great spot, not just to be in the word of God, but also to be helping serve in the life of our church. And so Servant Team is for you guys. It meets uh, 6.30, 8.30 Tuesday nights also here at Anderson or here at Southwood and also at our Anderson campus. And I'd highly encourage you to be a part of that, to not just be in the word, but to be able to find a way to serve. Also, some of you guys may know about Youth Impact. Anyone? 
All right. Uh, Youth Impact is similar to that. A great spot not just to be in the Word of God, you'll be doing one of our studies, but a great spot also to be serving, but not in the walls of our church, actually be serving in inner city Bryan and College Station, uh, reaching out to youth that are disadvantaged. And so great spot to get involved. Awesome uh, ministry that we're a part of that I think often doesn't get as much of a highlight and a sense of what we as a body here at Grace are doing. Tons of students do that. Love for you to consider that. It's Thursday nights. Informational starts this week. You can find it at 4 p.m. here at Southwood on Thursday. Thursday, and they'll have a table also in the back. Uh, one last thing to give you guys an awareness too here on Sunday mornings uh, at 9.15, we're going to start next week an elective, actually two electives, all right? So Sunday mornings are a bit large, and so what we're going to do at 9.15 is actually right here in this very same space, we're going to have an elective uh, for the girls only called Satisfy My Thirsty Soul. And so Erin Kennedy, who did announcements, she's going to be leading that along with Kelsey Bales, who's one of our interns here this year. Uh, and so they're going to be doing a, uh, an elective, kind of a small group deal for girls, and so it'll be great spot just to meet some people. Great spot to meet our staff. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. We'll start next Sunday. Uh, also, uh, if you're not a girl or if you are a girl or a guy, so co-ed, all right, uh, we're having another elective for church history, all right? That'll start also 9-15 next week. And for a six-week series, we're going to look at, in a sense, the history of the church from the first century all the way to today and denominations. Fascinating content. Love for you guys to be a part of that. That'll start 9-15 next week right here, all right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to break here in a minute and we're going to have pizza for you guys. We're going to serve you guys lunch, and we're going to have all kinds of tables in the back so that you can find out how to get involved and be a part of things here at Grace this year. Uh, one last closing story for you guys that I thought was fascinating. I ran across a story this few weeks ago that in 1888, a guy uh, woke up one morning and found his own obituary in the newspaper, all right? Uh, imagine, imagine how alarming that would be, all right? He woke up, and he opened the newspaper, and there it was. He was right there, his own name. And what he found out later was it was a journalistic error and that his brother had died, but the journalist thought it was him, and so it had his name and his obituary in the paper. And what was fascinating for him, though, is he was reading and had an opportunity to read, in a sense, how the culture and how the world thought of him. He was the inventor of dynamite, uh, the inventor of explosives, and so he was known in much of the way people viewed his life. Was he, he was the inventor of dynamite and therefore a merchant of death. That was how the world saw his life. And so he had the opportunity, and just absolutely horrified by that, he had the opportunity uh, for the rest of his life to try to rewrite his legacy. In fact, as he would die, he would leave his entire financial estate to the awarding of the Nobel Peace Prize. His name was Alfred Nobel. He had the opportunity because he got a preview of his legacy to rewrite it. And he had an opportunity to invest his life differently. And let me challenge you as you head off and as you begin week two in this semester, whether you're at Blinn or A&M, let me ask you, how are you writing your legacy? What are you investing your life in? Because if what is to come is certain, then what remains is very few things. The only things that will remain for all of eternity are the word of God and the souls of men. And so let me challenge you to invest your life there. Alfred Nobel had the opportunity to rewrite his legacy, had an opportunity to reshift his focuses and his priorities and the purposes of his life so that his life would have a lasting significance. And so I want to ask you this morning as you invest your life, as you look at your semester, let me challenge you and invest it in the word of God. Find a spot to grow in your knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and let me also challenge you and invest it in the souls of men. Find a spot outside of the walls of the church to invest your life in those that do not know Jesus Christ so that you are salt and light in your community and on your campus. Find one spot in the church and one spot outside of the church. Invest in those two arenas so that you can have a lasting impact. Let me pray for us. Father God, I give you great thanks and that you have given us such a clear and certain vision of the future and even given us the opportunity to know how to order our lives in light of that day that's to come. Father, I pray that we would be bold in extending an invitation to those that do not know you. Now, Father, I pray also that you would allow us to be a representation of that coming day, that we would live distinctly different, not repelling, but winsome, 
Uh, not pushing people away, but drawing people in and allowing them to ask and to wonder why we live so differently, Lord. Pray that you would allow us as your people, as your church, to, to model and to walk in a way that looks so different from the world that it would draw men and women to question and to wonder why. Father, I pray that they would be attracted to your son, Jesus Christ. And they would be attracted to the life that you provide us. Not just a life that's eternal, that's to come, but a life that's abundant in the present, Lord. Father, I pray that you would purify our lives that you would provide us a satisfaction and a sustenance in you and you alone, unlike anything else that can be provided to us, Lord. Father, I pray that you would give us great clarity, great wisdom as we look at our semester and the things that we're going to step in. And Lord, I pray that you would grow the community that's here as well. Allow us to be a a community and a ministry, Lord, that knows one another, that loves one another, that uh, pursues life with one another, Lord. I pray that even today at lunch, we thank you for this provision and we ask that you would grant us just a really rich time with one another, that we would pursue each other well, Lord. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. All right, we're going to have pizza for you guys as y'all exit, and we'll have pizza in the back room. And there's tables all in the back for you guys to find out not just about college, but children's and youth as well. So thanks for being here. We'll see y'all next week.